This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve. I'm your host, Erin Benziger. Hey, happy Halloween. I know, I know. How many people just turned off the show because I said happy Halloween? Listen, I don't really get into Halloween. I don't pass out candy. I do eat candy because, let's face it, it's delicious, even though it's terrible for you. Um, I have nothing against the little kids wanting to dress up, um, you know, as cute little princesses or whatever. It's when things get, like, into the ghosts and the goblins and the goriness and, like, I don't understand that. So, in my neighborhood... Some of my neighbors really enjoy decorating for Halloween, which I completely do not understand. Of course, these are the same people who put the Christmas decorations up like, you know, November 1, and I can't imagine what their electricity bills are for two months of lights. Um, But they also put lights up for Halloween, and those happen sometimes late September, if not, you know, right away on October 1. And then there's just like the dumbest decorations, you know, like, oh, look, there's a skeleton buried in my front yard and it's starting to come up out of the ground. It's just dumb. I don't understand it. But anyway, today is Halloween. Um, So (laughs) happy Halloween. Enjoy some candy. Um, Happy Reformation Day, the true Christians say. And so you might think that, well, in true Christian fashion, today's episode surely must focus on the Reformation because that's what all true Christians talk about on October 31st. Well, um, I love the Reformation. I'm very thankful for the Reformation and our Reformers. I love reading um, about that piece of church history. But a couple years ago, when it was the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, I got like Reformationed out because everybody just like sucked the life out of that as a topic um, from pastors, you know, entire sermon series that lasted weeks and months and and blog articles and all this. And so, um, yeah, I got reformationed out. (laughs) That doesn't mean I don't love and appreciate the reformation. It just means that today uh, I'm gonna get a a little rebellious and I'm actually going to talk about a ghost story today on today's episode. Don't turn off the podcast because this ghost story is actually found in the Bible, believe it or not. It's there. So turn with me, ladies, to 1 Samuel 28. And I'm sure many of you know exactly where I'm going. 1 Samuel 28. Today I'm reading from the ESV. Verse 3. Now Samuel had died. Remember, Samuel was a prophet in Israel. Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums, Saul was the king of Israel, of course, Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams, or by Urim, or by prophets. 
And then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Verse 15, Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Okay. There's a lot in here. Um, notice that we started at verse 3. That's because verses 1 and 2 really go with the previous chapter, and it's just the strangest chapter cut off ever, potentially, in the Bible. It's very strange. Um, you know, so you're reading the story about David, and, you know, you get to the end of verse 2, and you're like, okay, what's next? And then all of a sudden, now Samuel had died, and here's Saul, and you're like, wait, what's happening? And you have to wait and read into the next chapter to see what happens with David. Um, one commentary actually says, and it's probably right, that chapter 29 actually happened before what we just read in 28. It's just that we needed to have that little break in the story because what happened in 28 is so important. So it was like, okay, you know, hold up, this this happened. And now you can know the rest of the story because it's, it's going to make a little more sense at this point. So that's kind of where we're at. I encourage you to go back and read the context there. 
And this story, I think, I don't know, I've heard some interesting explanations of this over the years um, because I just think Christians don't know what to do with it. You know, because here we have Saul had rightly um, banned necromancy and the mediums and all of this. He had done that rightly. That was according to the Lord's will that all of that had been um, had been uh, condemned back in Deuteronomy. I think it's Deuteronomy 18. You know, so like that was good. That was right. And all of a sudden Saul is wanting to find a medium and the people he asks obviously know where one is. They didn't hesitate. It wasn't like, oh, let us look. It was, oh yeah, hey, there's one at Endor. So that's kind of curious. And then, and then Samuel shows up. Does Samuel show up? Is this a real ghost? Is this, uh, you know, a demon pretending to be Samuel? Like there's so much here. And then if you look beyond the ghost story that we have, there's so much reflecting back on Samuel's kingship or uh, Saul's kingship and his relationship with Samuel. An interesting connection here that um, I heard pointed out by Alistair Begg when he preached through this chapter. And it struck me again right now as I was reading this. I actually had to go back and look up which chapter was that in uh, earlier in 1 Samuel. So in verse 13, um, Saul wants the woman to describe, you know, well, what are you seeing? She says, I see a God coming up out of the earth. And uh, Saul says, what's his appearance? She says, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. Okay. And then later in verse 17, Samuel says to Saul, the Lord has done to you as he spoke by me for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your da- your neighbor David has torn the kingdom out of your hand and this robe of Samuel's is kind of important um we actually see a theme in first Samuel of his robe so if you read through first Samuel and if you remember the story Hannah Samuel's mother she had difficulty conceiving and then she was given this gift of the son by the Lord and she offered him to the Lord in a sense you know to be raised by the priests and so after she had left Samuel in the temple she used to go visit him and every year when she would go up with her husband to make the sacrifice. And actually in 1 Samuel chapter 2, you see this in verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. So there's like this theme of this robe and you can't make too much of it. It doesn't mean anything. It's not, you know, it doesn't have like some supernatural power, nothing. It's just really an interesting connection. And so then in verse 28, Saul, when he hears the witch at Endor say, this man is wrapped in a robe, he knows it's Samuel. And there's a little throwback in Samuel's words to Saul there that, you know, the Lord has torn the kingdom from you this day. And if we would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Verse 27, as Samuel turned to go away, 
Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And that neighbor is David, we find out later. And it's repeated there by Samuel in chapter 28. So this isn't just like some random story, some random mention of the robe, some random mention of the kingdom being torn from Saul. This is all prophecy being fulfilled here. So that's just something really interesting to point out. So now, why is Saul seeking supernatural help, you know, the, the black magic, the dark arts or whatever? Why, what is he doing? And I think something that we can pull from this is what our desperation can do to us and what poor choices we can make if we're not grounded in our faith and in our relationship with Christ because Saul, he's beside himself because God is being completely silent to him. He's not answering him by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. And remember, in the Old Testament times, God spoke by different ways than by which he speaks now. And we read that in Hebrews. So it's okay to know that God was speaking to certain, certain individuals, not to everybody, through dreams and prophets and things like this back in the day, if you will. Um, and we can hear Saul's desperation when he talks to Samuel. He says, I am in great distress. The Philistines are warring against me. God has turned away from me. He's not answering me. And so I came to you, Samuel. Well, that was wrong. Not, be not just because Samuel was dead and you're now conjuring up a ghost. Um, it was wrong because he should have gone straight to God. His problem was with God. His problem was a God problem in that the Lord was being silent to him because of Saul's disobedience and because of his sin. And so Samuel, he's saying, well, why do you ask me? The Lord has turned from you and become your enemy. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. And so Saul is completely hopeless, and yet he goes to the wrong source. He should have just gone to God himself. And that's one of his major errors here in this chapter. He should have sought the Lord, not Samuel. And when I stop and think about this, we are the same way. In our desperation or in our trials or in our troubles, we go to friends, we talk to them about it, maybe our pastor, and those aren't bad things if those are godly people that we're seeking advice and prayer from. Um, we might buy books and things like that, but first and foremost, we need to go to the Lord, right? Um, and we see that a lot in the Psalms as well. The psalmist so many times in his tribulation, his trials and his troubles, um, there's three TR words for you. That's a great Baptist alliteration sermon right there. Trials, tribulations, and troubles. Um, but the psalmist you know, cries out to the Lord and he goes to the Lord even when his issue is with the Lord. Like, why are you being silent? What's going on? And we can see how that communion and that conversation with God turns, not necessarily the situation, the situation still exists, but it turns the heart of the psalmist back to the Lord, you know, and trusting and resting in him. And so I think that's something that we can certainly learn from. And here we see an example of not doing that with Saul. He should have gone straight to the Lord. So that's something that I 
tend to see in this and I tend to take away. But, you know, let's go back to the real burning question. Was this actually a ghost? Was this really Samuel? What in the world is going on? Why? I mean, it can't be, it can't actually be Samuel, right? Because, you know, once you're dead, you're dead, and God doesn't let people come back, and that goes against everything else we know in the Bible, and so, like, clearly this woman's a faker, or, you know, yeah, it's a demon or whatever, and, you know, what we referred to earlier. And um, I found this paragraph in Dale Ralph Davis's commentary helpful. He says, was this episode a piece of fakery? I don't think so, he says. I don't think the text intends to suggest that. Some argue that since the woman screamed when she saw Samuel, she herself must not have expected his appearance. Therefore, her usual practice must have been imposture and duplicity. I've heard that preached before, and every time I hear it, like, I want to trust the pastor, but then I'm looking at the text saying, but the text doesn't say that, so you just made that up. Um, anyway. He goes on, he says, one cannot be sure. The sight of Samuel may not be the sole explanation for her scream. Verse 12b may help explain the scream. That is, the sight of Samuel brought the sudden insight that only Saul would have such a passion to consult Samuel. Hence, her client was Saul, and she was doomed. The story carries the stamp of realism from the central and sobering prophetic message of Samuel to the obvious reticence to answer all our curious questions along with its failure to provide any how-to information for budding necromancers. In any case, we must remember that scripture describes such practices not as futile, but as pagan. Yahweh forbids Israel to use these means, not because they do not work, but because they are wicked. And I thought that was interesting. So then how do you explain it? How did this happen? You know, we're told the stuff isn't real or whatever. Uh, Davis says, how does one explain this piece of necromancy? I suppose by the power and permission of God. For his own reasons, God must have permitted Samuel to come up in order to speak his word of truth and doom to Saul. Yahweh's word was spoken, even if it came via an illegitimate method. You know, God can use anything, can't he? And so he can even use this illegitimate method, allowing Samuel to return to deliver his word to Saul. Um, and it was not a good word at all, was it? And so I think that's how we can explain this ghost story. I, I don't think we need to hide it from scripture. I don't think we need to try to explain it away. Um, I think we just accept the text for what it is. And we say that God's ways are higher than our ways. And, and it doesn't negate the fact that this type of practice has been forbidden. And like Davis says, it's forbidden not because it doesn't work, but because it's wrong. And, you know, I think that's an important thing for us to consider um, and an important warning for us to stay away from it because maybe it does work, but it's still wicked. Um, a lot of things might work, but that doesn't make them right. Right? Right. Okay. So that's your ghost story for the day. Um, Hopefully it didn't spook you so much that you have nightmares tonight. Um, but I just, I think it's, I've always been kind of fascinated by this story here in the Old Testament. And um, I just think it's a really curious addition to this fascinating narrative that we have of Saul um, and his kingship and into David's kingship as well. Okay, ladies, as an 
endorsement, encouragement, whatever we're calling it, I don't know, endorsement for today. Um, I do not have a theme book for you, um, although I do endorse Halloween candy, whatever kind you like. And candy corn is great, by the way. So many people don't enjoy candy corn, but it's delicious. But my endorsement for today is actually a book by Faith Cook, who I may have recommended books of hers in the past. She's a wonderful author. And this book is Selina, Countess of Huntington, um, her pivotal role in the 18th century evangelical awakening. It's a long book, I will tell you that. There are some places where I felt like it dragged a little bit. It was like too much information. I didn't need to know every single time she turned a corner necessarily. Um, but that also, I think, speaks to Faith Cook's, you know, her detail as a biographer. And um, that's really important because she's taking such care to make sure that she's telling us these people's lives accurately. Um, but overall, this is a book that I do highly recommend. I'd say maybe like 4.3 stars out of 5. Um, but it will take you a little bit of time to get through it. But it's definitely worthwhile. You'll learn a lot. There's a lot of historical figures in there um, who I think you'll recognize if you're familiar with church history in that era of church history. So... As a parting thought, ladies, I want to challenge us to think about what we do when we are in trials, troubles, and tribulations, going back to the TRs. Do we go to God first? That doesn't mean we can't go to our friends, ask them to pray with us, ask them to talk it through with us. It doesn't mean we can't go to our pastor. It doesn't mean we can't read a book. But do we go to God first, even if our problem is with him? Because we can be very raw and very honest with God in that way. Because at the end of the day, he knows our hearts. And if you're sitting there in your heart saying, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Well, he knows it anyway. So you might as well just be honest with him about it, right? So are we going to him first? It doesn't mean that our situation is going to change. It doesn't mean anything like that. But it does mean that it will turn our hearts to him and keep us grounded in the truth and keep us grounded in Christ where we need to be. So let's keep our eyes on him in the midst of everything. Okay, ladies, until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.